Well, last week we started a new message series called Nothing to Lose. And we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy from now to November. 2 Timothy is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to his young friend Timothy. We learned last week that this is uh, written late, 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 late in Paul's life. He's in prison. He's, uh, he's winding down. He's kind of passing on the last of the good things that he has to, to tell Timothy. And, um, it, you know, and Timothy was, uh, boy, both someone he'd mentored, but also worked with. And we were challenged last week to consider our spiritual influences, both, both what we receive is influence and what we give to others. And we saw the Apostle Paul suffering there in prison. He was lonely. He was cold. He, he's, uh, he's needing support. And yet in the midst of that low point, he himself was encouraging and supporting, uh, young Timothy. And so we saw in the message last week that we're not, we're not meant to walk a spiritual life alone. We're not meant to walk on our own. We, we learned that once you're a believer, um, you are in a community. And not only that, you have what it takes to pass on your faith to others. If you were here last week, you saw we had a box that said faith on it, represent Faith, and we, we talked about you know passing that box to someone else. Whether or not they they accept the box is is another is not your decision. It's theirs. But you have what it takes to pass on faith to others. Well, today we're going to continue in Second Timothy in chapter one, and we're going to come across this curious phase uh, phrase from from Paul that he writes to Timothy. He says, "Fan into flame the gift you received, the spiritual gift." You received. It's really a compelling picture because flame always gets your attention, right? Especially if you've ever seen a flame where it doesn't belong, you notice it. You think, uh-oh. Um, whether it's a, whether it's a campfire or one of these intense California wildfires, a flame attracts our attention. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, is quoted as having said, Set a man on fire and people will come to watch him burn. Uh, not literally, obviously, but when a person is, is really passionate about something, you know, we say, he's on fire, right? Or, or when an athlete, for example, is, is playing a great game, you know, when Steph Curry is draining three-pointers, we say, and he is on fire tonight. One, one of the reasons I, I believe the Church of the West is is anemic we we really are um you know we're compromised and powerless and i think it's because we don't have very men very many men or women who are really on fire for the lord remember when that used to be a popular phrase that person's on fire for jesus um we don't see a lot of that back in my high school days i remember a couple of goofballs who um got saved they met jesus and and they they were kind of troublemakers as it was but man they they got saved and they lit the place up these guys would strike up sort of impromptu um, Bible studies on the quad and dozens and dozens, up to 100 students would go just to literally to go watch them burn. And, um, and I, don't, I don't know whatever happened to those guys, but it was a, it was a pretty wild time. It was exciting and just, just an amazing thing to see. But a fire, no matter how big or how wonderful, will what? Burn down and eventually burn out. If it's not stoked up, if it's not, you know, fed uh, fuel for that fire. Part of the fun of camping, for example, 
Uh, any of you got away for any camping this summer? And if it was in an RV, that counts. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Man, you guys did not have much fun this summer. What happened? Okay, this, thank you, Marilyn, in the back there. Um, well, when you were younger, maybe you remember when taking kids out camping or something, but... Uh, you know, part of the fun for kids when they go camping is putting wood on the fire and then poking it with sticks and moving the coals around and waving the burning stick around, especially at night. It's okay. It's fun for adults, too. Let's be honest. All right. And then the next morning after everything's burned down, you get up and you, you put a few pine needles or maybe a little bits of paper on there and you blow it and suddenly you have a fire again. So spiritually, it's the same story. There's rarely such a thing as a spontaneous spiritual combustion. Uh, A fire needs to be deliberately lit and fed and fanned if it's going to burn. Well, that's a lot to kind of introduce us to just a few verses. But if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to find first uh, second Timothy chapter one, starting at verse six. Last week we did verses one through five. Today we're at verse six and I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. If you're using that red church Bible, you're on page 1001. Big number one and the small number six. Paul is writing and he says, verse six, this is why. In fact, let me back it up to verse five just to give a little context. I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Verse 6, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Verse 9, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And he carries on. God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and teacher of this good news. Well, let's be seated together. We're thankful to the Lord for his word. Now, I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul, you know, near the end of his life, had mentored and worked with Timothy, had co-wrote letters with him. Um, and it had been years and he poured himself into Timothy and Timothy's life. And he had trusted Timothy with significant ministry leadership as the pastor of the mega church at Ephesus we talked about. In fact, I brought a couple of pictures of Ephesus. A number of you have been here. That's the great uh, theater of Ephesus. Uh, if you re- you can read about this in Acts chapter 19, there's a great nearly riot. This is what's called the Library of Celsus uh, right there in Ephesus. How many of you have seen that? I've been there. Isn't that great? It's just an amazing thing. One of those I must go to back to places on my on my list of places I'd like to see. Well, that's that's the context. That's where Timothy was working. That's that's what this is written into that place. Now, um, in spite of all that time that Paul had been with Timothy and all that sort of expertise that Timothy already had. Here he is, he's telling Timothy, this, you know, excellent pastor and leader to fan into spiritual flame 
To not be timid, that, that word that's trans, that, that we have there, verse um, 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. Yours might say um, spirit of fear. A bet, you know, our good translation might be cowardice, but that's kind of an old-fashioned word. But uh, God did not give you a spirit of, of, of cowardice, right? He, he's saying, um, you, you know, fan this, don't be ashamed, fan this gift into flame. Even if you have to suffer, even reminding Timothy here that salvation is by grace and not by works. All these things that Timothy knew all this stuff. This is all Timothy stuff Timothy is probably telling to other people. Why, why would Timothy need reminders from Paul about those, these things that he knows so well? You're sitting thinking, man, Brian, I've read 2 Timothy before. Why, do we really have to talk about this? Can't you t- why do we, we need that? It's because Timothy was human just like you and just like me. And no matter where we are in our spiritual life, or for that matter, where we are in our professional life, or relationship life, or marriage life, or whatever kind of area of our life, but no matter where we are at spiritually, we all need to be encouraged, and challenged, and reminded, sometimes pushed, sometimes prodded a little bit, to keep growing. Because it's easy to just settle, isn't it? It's easy just to do status quo. It's it's back to that image of the fire that even the oh man, did you ever make just like a perfect campfire? It's just like, oh, it just looks so nice right now. It's just the right amount of the heat. The smoke's actually going up instead of in my face for a change. You know, it's just like everything's good. You can put a marshmallow in there. But even the perfect campfire is going to need what? More wood eventually and oxygen. And it's going to need encouragement to keep going. It doesn't it's not static. Now. Here's what's really important. No one else can do your spiritual development. No one else can do your spiritual development. If you've put your faith in Jesus, which was your own decision, not mine or anyone else's, you cannot now ride someone else's coattails to spiritual maturity. Let me say that again. You put your faith in Jesus, but you can't you know, take advantage of someone else isn't going to do this for you. You can't ride their coattails to spiritual maturity. For example, you'll occasionally hear someone complain about their church and say, well, I'm just, I'm just not being fed there. And, and I know there's, there's probably a lot of layers to that, but let me just address that one line. I'm just not being fed. Friends, only babies get fed. And if they're still nursing as a five-year-old, we're concerned about that. It seems uh, that's, it's weird. And, um, right? We, we're, the babies, even as they grow, they learn to feed themselves. And um, friends, you, we got to feed themselves. I was doing a little math uh, recently, and I, I was thinking about how much time we get to spend together. Let's say that you're a, a really faithful attender at church. Let's say you're here 50 out of 52 weeks a year. More realistically, it might be let's say 40. Uh, let's say you're 40. Let's say let's say you miss eight times. Let's say 44 times. That you're here a year, and I preach for about half an hour, you know, so we're in the Word for about 30 minutes, 40 times. You say 44, that's about 22 hours a year that we get to spend together. It would not be abnormal for someone to spend 22 hours in the week just watching TV. But we have 22 hours spread over a whole year. That's, that's not enough. You're gonna starve. If I'm the only one feeding you, you will starve spiritually. You've got to feed yourself. You've got to fan those things into flame. Otherwise, you're going to starve spiritually. 
I think what we take from Paul's series of challenges to Timothy, which there really are a number of things that he says, it's that we are responsible for our own spiritual development. If you're following in your outline today, that would be the first kind of blanks there. Take control of your own spiritual development. You're responsible for that. Now, tie that in with something we said last week, that you're not expected to walk alone. And I urge you to be in relationships or groups where you can give and receive spiritual influence. We really do need one another. We're not meant to do this alone. But I can't do your spiritual growth for you. And you can't do mine for me. And the same would go with even your spouse and other relationships. Just saying it bluntly, some of us have not developed a spiritual life apart from maybe our parents or apart from our spouse or wife or husband or a pastor. And I'm just telling you, you're missing out when you haven't done that. You really need to take control of your own spiritual development. Don't let your spouse, for example, do all the praying or all the Bible reading or all the giving or all the serving. You get in there and do it too. You'll be thankful for it. You'll grow. You'll feel mature and you'll, 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 you'll feel your roots growing down as we've talked a number of times this year. You feel your roots growing down into Christ. Second, I mean, uh, Colossians 2, 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue in Him, rooted and built up in the faith as you were taught. Now, to Timothy, Paul said this line, verse um, um, 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, we're not told what this spiritual gift was. But if we look at the spiritual gifts Paul mentions elsewhere in Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, it could have been, you know, administration or apostleship or discernment of spirits or evangelism or exhortation or faith or giving or healing, words of knowledge or leadership or mercy or miracles or prophecy, maybe service, shepherding, teaching, tongues, interpretation of tongues, maybe words of wisdom could have been one of those or... Because Paul's lists of spiritual gifts are not necessarily exhaustive. That means Paul doesn't necessarily list every spiritual gift there is because his lists, when he talks about them, don't match up. Sometimes he mentions these, sometimes he mentions those. So it it may have been something other. We're not told. And guess what? We don't need to know. We don't need to know what Timothy's gift was because one of the simple truths of spiritual gifts is that we generally do not need to broadcast to other people what gift we may have. We do not need to broadcast to other people what gift we may have because if we're operating in obedience to Christ and operating in the spiritual gift that He's given to you, it, it will be self-evident. It will show. You just, you just know when someone is, like, operates, not just that they're smart, but that, for example, they can speak a wise word, you like, okay, that person operates in wisdom. Or when someone kind of speaks, hey, this is what, what I sense the Lord's telling us and where we need to go. We say, boy, that, that per- person functions in the prophetic. Or someone, you, you know what I mean? You, you, gifts tend to be self-evident. Um, if others recognize that I have a gift, let's say that they would say I have the mercy gift, which I really don't. Um, that, that's fine, but I don't need to announce it myself. It either shows or it doesn't show. Nevertheless, a spiritual gift needs to be fanned into flame. I need some oxygen. I need some airflow to it. I need some movement. Get it out into the, into the open. Now, how do you do that? Well, 
practice, trial and error, maybe learning about it. Um, read a book. Well, it's pretty revolutionary for some, but you could do that. Uh, try get into a small group setting where you can, with a very low risk, stoke up the fire of that gift. Um, you know, one of the small groups that, that's going to start this year and on Wednesday nights is called the Alpha Course. And the way the Alpha Course is set up is it's really designed either for someone who would be a seeker inquiring about the Christian faith or someone who's saying, you know, I'm a little hazy on the details of what I believe or, man, it's been a long time. I just need a little refresher on some really clear, straightforward ways to talk about my faith. And so the Alpha Course is really set up for that. It's a video that... Um, presents a, a topic that's interesting, and then as a table group, you discuss that, what was presented on the video. And uh, each table needs a table leader. Well, as Pastor Stephen sets up the Alpha Course, he'll be looking for folks who can lead a table. That's a good chance for them to exercise. Do I have a spiritual gift of leadership here? Others are going to be around the table, and they're going to find, man, they're always saying something encouraging. They always have something building other people up. We're going to say, well, that person is practicing a gift of encouragement and so on maybe maybe you're just want to be in a group like that to just try stuff out just practice just be a part of that encourage you to be in the alpha course so again let me show you those lists administration apostleship discernment evangelism exhortation faith giving healing words of knowledge leadership mercy i think uh, miracles prophecy serving shepherding teaching tongues interpretation tongues word of wisdom or something else it's not necessarily listed now, you might say, well, I don't have a spiritual gift, Brian, because no one's laid hands on me to be prayed for. Well, I have two responses for you. If you're saying you don't feel like you have a spiritual gift, one is I'd point you to 1 Corinthians 12, 7, which says this. In fact, let's read this together out loud. Ready? Go. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Another translation says for the building up of the body. That's us, the body of Christ. Spiritual gift is given by the Holy Spirit to each for the benefit of the body. God gives those gifts through the Spirit. We don't manufacture them. We don't demand them from, from God. But we're responsible to practice them, to fan them into flame. Now, secondly, I'd say this. You know, so first of all, you got 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But secondly, I'd say if you feel like, no, I don't, I don't have any spiritual gifts. No one's like prayed for me. Okay, Go get prayed for. Every Sunday morning, we have a prayer team that's available to you. Um, or approach a pastor or a believer you trust and just say, would you pray for me? I, I'm really lost in this whole spiritual gift thing. And I, I just, I want what God has for me, but I, I don't know how to get it. Ask someone. We'd love to pray for you and for the Lord to give, give that gift. Um, the Apostle Paul says, you receive this gift by the laying on of my hands, Timothy. And so this is an important spiritual principle. This sense of laying on of hands, it means that God has given you and me a, authority. Jesus gave us authority to impart God's work in other people's lives. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing that God would do that for us. So think about your spiritual gift. What does God you know, called you for or fan, you know, fan it into flame. Maybe you're saying, I'm, I would like to know more about this. I would suggest a website called spiritualgiftstest.com and, uh, slash tests and you can take a spiritual gift test. It's actually not very difficult and it's kind of fun to do. It's about a hundred plus questions. Uh, give yourself about 10 minutes to do it. 
Um, I did that this week and um, told me what I what I thought was already the case. It was great. So I would encourage that. Write that down. Spiritualgiftstest.com. And I, here's one nice thing about when you do spiritualgiftstest.com. It won't pop up on anyone else's Facebook saying, Brian wants you to play spiritual gifts with him. Um, <laughs> it won't do that. Now, like Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon had said, when someone's on fire, people will come to watch them burn. I, I hope we're not settling for, you know, pilot lights and birthday candles, tiny little flames, and we could be a blazing bonfire. I mean, if, if we together were fanning into flame the gifts that God had given to us, you, we'd, we'd be like the, you know, those massive wildfires that are burning, not in a destructive way, but in a, just an awesome world-changing way. Are you taking responsibility for your own spiritual development? Then in the next verses, Paul challenged Timothy to, to move out of, out of fear and to move into courage and shamelessness and confidence in the gospel. Right? He says in verse 8, Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me. I'm a prisoner. Be easy to be ashamed about Paul. Like, I don't really know that guy. Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of any of this. Um, because, you know, why should we care what people think about us when what really matters is how God sees you, what God cares about you, how God sees you? Paul reminded Timothy of the basic gospel that we're saved by grace through faith, not by our efforts. There's no point in trying to impress people with your spirituality. It's, 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 it's a reminder that you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove to yourself or to others or to God. And so I'd say this, if you're following in your outline today, you can release your efforts to prove yourself. Release your efforts to prove yourself. I'm just trying so hard. You know, I hear this sometimes. I'm just trying so hard to be a good Christian. Stop it. Stop trying so hard to be a good Christian. Just be, be yourself. Be, be yourself. Start fanning into flame and let God be at work in your life. Start getting to know Jesus personally and, and watch what happens. You've been watching the Olympics probably and I'd like you to think about maybe an athlete that you've enjoyed seeing. Maybe, let's say, Hussein Bolt when he runs, right? Who, who judges those athletes? Is it, you know, if it's an individual sport like, like track, right? Is, is Hussein Bolt judged by the crowd? Do the, does the crowd determine who is the fastest, or is he judged by the clock, by the time judge, right? Or in a team sport, is a rugby player uh, guided by the crowd or guided by the coach? They do what, the, what pleases the coach, not what pleases the crowd. Now, if you were an athlete and you, you trained and, and prepared and you tried out, and then you got a letter from the U.S. Olympic Committee saying... You've made it. Your congratulations. You're on the track team. Uh, you're going to Rio. You, you just, you know, would you then go to the committee and say, hey, thanks for that letter. But, you know, just to be sure, I'm just going to run a few more times for you just to make sure you've made the right decision. And I just really want to show you that I'm I'm really worth being on the team. And and just to be on the safe side, I'll, I'll make my own uniform and I'll show up in that when I get to Rio. You know, I'll do that. No, you wouldn't do any of that. Right. Once. You know, once you're there, you train with the team, you'd go to the competition, you'd wear the jersey they gave you, you'd run the race as best you could. Why? Because once you're on the team, you're on the team. You, you don't need to keep 
proving yourself. Now, of course, next time there's tryouts, you'd have to go through that again. That's, you know, you would be on the team and you'd simply follow the coach's directions. And I know it's not a perfect analogy. It breaks down pretty quickly. But here's the truth in verse 9 that, that Paul writes. He says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He, he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. That was his plan. You know, we sang that song that the youth group wanted us to sing this morning. And little, I know the language is a little bit stalkerish. You know, he pursues you and he chases you. And But the, the point of that is that it's God's plan to save you. Because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Do you know that God wants to show you good things to your life? Things like his grace. And his mercy and his abundance and his and his provision. That line there, God saved us and called us to live a holy life. That's one of those phrases in Greek that's hard to translate, they say. It, it's it's something along the lines of a he has he 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 saved us and called us with a holy calling. He saved us with a holy calling. There's something about we're called to live holy, but the calling itself is set apart and holy and can't be undone. When God has called you to himself and you put your faith in him by his grace, it's a done deal. It's locked in. Maybe we've overemphasized in the church in America, maybe we've overemphasized that the personal benefits of salvation you know, that Christ saved you to give you hope and help and salvation, all of which is true. It's very true. But sometimes we've maybe ignored the life that we share together as the body of Christ, that we together demonstrate the glory of God. And as, as Christians, as believers, we're called into a life that's bigger than just self, bigger than me. My, my calling, right, that holy life calling, that holy calling is, is, is to point others to Jesus. For his grace to be demonstrated to other people. But it's, it's not by somehow proving that I'm worthy, that, I've, that I'm good enough, that I've done it. You have nothing to prove if you've put your full faith and trust in the blood of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You're not called to live your life for others. You're called to live it for Jesus. That's really essentially, you've got to understand that you're not called to live for people. You're called to live for him. It's a holy calling. So Paul is saying here, I, I think really, you know, if I were to sort of summarize or paraphrase what Paul is saying to Timothy, look, stop trying to fit some mold of what you think a Christian is and let go of your fear of people and pay attention to who God is making you to be. Rekindle again your, your gift and trust in the full and complete grace of God for you. Don't be embarrassed about it. Live a holy life set apart for God, even, Paul says, even if you have to suffer for it. And maybe that's the real test, a readiness to suffer. Yesterday morning, uh, my wife Becky and I attended um, part of a conference put on by the Voice of the Martyrs. I, as a kid, I grew up with um, seeing Richard Wurmbrandt books on the, on the coffee table. Anybody know who Richard Wurmbrandt is? 
Richard Wurmbrandt was a, a Romanian Christian who, in, um, you know, as behind the Iron Curtain, he was an atheist, came to Christ, and he, he suffered immensely for his faith. He was imprisoned, regularly tortured. Um, so one of the books is called Tortured for Christ. And uh, I remember as a kid seeing those, seeing those books, and it just left an impression on me. Voice of the Martyrs is the organization that grew around um, Richard and Sabrina Wurmbrandt. They're a global organization. They do amazing, amazing work of supporting believers in uh, nations where they're literally uh, dying for their faith in Christ. You know, we talked about, I kind of made light of, of, of you know, fan into flame and, and, you know, when someone's on fire. But, you know, these places like where ISIS literally lights people on fire because they're Christians. The Voice of the Martyrs is supporting those families, have been getting scriptures to them, getting help from them. So we heard a, a message from a Syrian Christian yesterday. These Syrian Christians who, you know, the nation has been dropping in population because people are either being killed or they're fleeing for their lives. It's desperate, desperate. You've seen it on the news. It's, it's unlivable conditions in that they continue to live in those places. He told us the story of one church that was about 200 people before the war started. It was going along fine. They're, they're really not free to express their faith. But Syria is the most literate nation in the Middle East. It's a very progressive country in many ways. The war starts. Uh, as people are fleeing this church. About a third of the population of this church fled. And they're, they're shrinking down. But here's what happens in exchange. As, as Muslims start watching... Sunnis killing um, Shiites and Shiites killing Sunnis all in the name of Allah. They're starting to say, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And then they meet these Christians who talk about a God who is a God of love and who, in spite of torture, continue to be true to their faith. So that church is up to now 14 services a week because they can't. It's just, it's just growing. They showed us pictures of people all up this, sitting up all the stairways and just jammed into these buildings. He showed us another video of a, of a church where people are worshiping and as they're worshiping, there's a, there's a bomb dropped either on the building or right nearby. You can hear it in the video. They just keep singing. And some of the children are crying. I mean, it's a terrifying situation. But they said, hey, we're all in. We're all in. You see, when someone has really come to Christ, they've given up everything. They literally have nothing to lose. You can't kill someone who's already died to self. You can't take away something from someone who's already given everything away. And so here these believers are, and the church is growing. There was an Iranian brother whose dad was, was martyred in 1994 in Iran. At the time, the church was very, very small, but it sparked something. People wanted to know, who are these Christians who won't, renounced their faith and the church has grown Iran, they they estimate anywhere between half a million and one and a half million believers in iran and this brother he's he's in la and he has a, a, a radio ministry by satellite and he broadcasts sort of live live stream church services that are all in house groups all throughout iran they're watching against the law and they're converting to christ against the law and the church is growing in those persecuted Horrible, suffering, desperate places. Why? Because they are fanning into flame. And they're, they're doing as Paul says, never be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me even though I'm in prison. And with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. 
And may, maybe that's the test. And I, 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 don't, I don't mean to be overly dramatic, but friends, that day could easily come. You know, he was telling us about life was great in Syria in 2009. They, they thought it would always be fantastic. And all of a sudden, the whole thing split apart in war. And that day could come for us. I want to be ready. It, it scares me. I'm not going to be, a, be dishonest about that. But I want to be ready. So I just leave you with those two questions. Are you taking responsibility for your own spiritual development? And are you willing to live for the glory of Christ rather than proving your own worthiness? Lord, make me ready. Help me to fan into flame the gift that you've given into our lives. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Lord God, I, I confess that maybe our comfort is a liability. We can do what we want, go where we want, watch what we want, eat what we want, um, sing what we want, say what we want. And God, we sometimes forget we are, we are not here forever. We are here to represent you because the clock is ticking. And the day of your return is approaching, Jesus. And God, we want to be people who are burning brightly for you, not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of our brothers and sisters in Christ, not afraid to demonstrate your glory, not trying to prove how righteous we are, but trying to to demonstrate how good you are and how awesome your grace is. Lord, I pray that you'd make us the people who are set free from, from trying to meet religious expectations, but instead would be free just to know you and to be serving you and fanning into flame those gifts. God, I ask that you would, for every person here who's really unsure about their spiritual gifts and how that fits into the big picture, God, I pray that you would stir in them a a desire to know what that is and explore and to discover and then to fan that into flame. Lord, for those that have not trusted you yet, I pray that today would be a starting point of saying, yes, Jesus, I trust you with my whole life. God, we want to live for you and not... Not live for things that don't matter. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his relationship with Timothy. We thank you that these words have been preserved for us to teach us and guide us and prod us and challenge us and encourage us and help us today. May you be glorified in every way. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. You're good to us and we give you our praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.